Welcome to Not Enough Champagne, a podcast that feels like we've been here before. My name's Corey Hazelhurst and my partner in propaganda is Steve Haynes. Hey, Corey. Now, as a UK political podcast, we've been getting a bit jaded because usually you'd think a prime ministerial resignation would lead to at least maybe the emergency podcast. Now it's just greeted with shrugs and indifference, except Liz Truss is no longer Tory party leader. And although Rishi Sunak, at the time of recording this, is Tory leader, not prime minister, he will almost certainly be prime minister by the time you're listening to this. Let's try and make sense of that then. resigned on Wednesday, Steve, after a day on Tuesday that could be mildly described as slightly chaotic. Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very polite way of putting it. It's, it is one of those weird, weird things where recently, I've, due to work, I've not been able to like pay as close attention on the, like, the day-to-day stuff that, that goes on on Twitter and, and things like that. So you just have these moments where, for me, I'm now just kind of I find 10, 15 minutes where I'm taking a break or, or whatever and load up Twitter to see what's going on. And suddenly everything has changed. And I'm like, this is what a normal person must feel like when they, when they watch politics. Because I was just, I just went on. It was just like, oh, trust is, trust is going then. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't even tell you the, 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 the turn of events ultimately that led to it outside of the fracking vote not being an absolute farce um beforehand but it was just an absolute mess yeah I, th- there's all the issues that we spoke of last week in terms of the chaotic but fallout from the biggest of many budgets that i think we've ever seen um there was the departure of our home secretary and appointment of grant shaps which is probably something it's an interesting i think something to talk about in the future about the government immigration policy that Although it seems to be security was the, uh, and the fact that Sir Brain would have had shared government documents from a personal phone is the sort of public reason. There's definitely uh, a bit of a tension between Braverman as someone who really, really wanted to restrict immigration, get it down to the tens of thousands as the Conservative placed in, in 2010, I think it was, versus Liz Truss, who... Uh, has always been a bit more relaxed about immigration, did back remain probably for that reason. She's more relaxed about immigration. And also, uh, if you're going to be fixed on economic growth, actually you need immigration. So this was always going to be a a sort of row bubbling. And I imagine it's still one of the things that Rishi Sunak will still have to address in some form uh, when he sets out a government. Yeah, absolutely. It is very much going to be something that still needs to be dealt with because ultimately Suella Braverman and that wing of the Conservative Party are still there. They're nowhere near as potent or powerful as they might have otherwise once been, but they're still there and they can still cause trouble. Not united yet, but I suppose we get to that when we look at Boris Johnson's psychodrama, which is yeah. on the list. So we had the uh, the departure of the Home Secretary, probably only the seventh 
least chaotic thing of the day. We obviously had Christian Guru Murphy and Steve Baker. And I think if a, if a, if the definition of a gaffe is one uh, where a politician is caught on camera telling the truth, then that very is much the gaffe par excellence as far as Christian Guru Murphy, I think, is concerned. But that, again, probably doesn't really make the top 10 chaos-strewn moments. It was essentially, you can talk, get your economic policy torpedoed. You can be terrible at Prime Minister's questions. You can U-turn on your policies several times in advance. What you can't do is disagree with your whips and your ministers about whether or not a vote is a vote of confidence or not. So much of the kind of like the government's response to the mini budget kind of like problems was very much based around, oh, we just got the communications wrong. We got the communications wrong. They can't even get the communications right within their own party as to whether or not a vote is a, uh, you know, a vote of confidence in the government. You had Jacob Rees-Mogg saying one thing, the whips saying something else. The whips resigned during that fracas, I believe. And, and then unresigned after a statement was then put out at half one in the morning saying it was a confidence vote and people would be disciplined. Presumably also including his trust who forgot to vote because she was too busy dealing with the resignation and re-resignation and resignation to go to the chief whip. Meanwhile, someone else in the morning was saying something entirely different, saying it was a confidence vote. Yeah, like they genuinely had no clue whether they were coming or going with any of this, which is absolutely farcical, because at the end of the day, knowing whether or not something is a confidence vote is a pretty basic statement. And if you're not sure, you say it isn't. But and it's it was always going to be pretty bad politics to make a vote on fracking of all things one on which you're going to rest the reputation of the government on, yeah. and just put a lot of conservative MPs in an impossible position anyway. Yeah, really. absolutely. There was I can't remember the name of the MP and which one it was, but it was one of the um, Tory MPs from like around about Blackpool kind of area, which is obviously where there a lot of potential fracking could happen. He basically came out and just said, I have to vote for this because otherwise I lose the whip. And he just full out came out and just said, I have to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm publicly saying I don't want to do this, but the government are forcing me to do this because the government are being balanced in effect. It's unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. And then you've got, yeah, Therese Kofi apparently picking up MPs and almost throwing them into voting lobbies and stories of MPs. It, it, it's just a complete breakdown in yeah. any form of discipline. And and the thing is, you know, this this entire thing is kind of ridiculous because it became the subject matter for a part of the Daily Show in the US in the exact same way. A lot of like the random stuff that happens in the Italian parliament become uh, gets gets kind of covered as a as like a jokey subject matter on like have I got news for you and things like that. Britain became the butt of in, uh, an international joke as a result of the way that that vote that night and Liz Truss has handled everything. It, it is beyond words that Britain has managed to fall so far and hit that point. And we could still sink lower, actually, but we'll get yeah. on to that. Uh, so Liz Truss gave a resignation statement, which was 
utterly bizarre. So it was briefer than most Nick Lowe songs. And Nick Lowe is not known for writing long ballads filled with regret and mourning. They tend to, you know, nice throwaway pop songs that are done in two and a half, three minutes. But you would struggle to find many Nick Lowe songs that lasted as long as Trust's resignation speech. And the other thing is just how happy she seemed. <laughs> it just... I I just I get the feeling uh, it, it, a little bit like with Boris Johnson to a degree, um, and that when she actually got into the job, she went, "Oh no, this is awful. I don't enjoy this." Whether or not she realised she was above her, you know, she was in above her head, or or she was just like, "I don't enjoy this. This isn't this isn't fun. This isn't good." And then she, when when presented with an actual out, it was just like, you know what, screw it. It's fine. It's like I like. It's kind of like what happened with Gordon Brown to a degree when Gordon Brown lost the election. Um, when he left, walked out of Downing Street with his wife and with his kids, it was like a weight had been lifted off him. You could almost see he was a completely different man in terms of how he was walking and like facing the world. Yes, he had been defeated, but like he was just like, I'm free. <laughs> and I think it's a bit like that for Liz Truss. And given from day one, it was just crisis 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 like i can't blame blame her for being like no i'm not actually upset that i have to ditch this especially if like you now know you can't actually deliver on the things you wanted to deliver yeah and, and just patently not up to the job and the fact that you've already got jeremy hunt has come in as chancellor grant shapps has come in as home secretary yeah. who knows if they'll still be in those jobs this time tomorrow when sunak announces his first cabinet um, but then we had the uh, fun drama of a Tory leadership contest, which this time was over in a, in five days, which is brief. Well, I suppose eleventh eleven times as brief as the one that took place over the summer, uh, in which the main question, and it, it, I don't really want it to be the main question because we've spent we've spent too much time on this podcast talking about Boris Johnson and to have to talk about him again now after all of this it's it, just it's frankly insulting it, it really is the fact that he thought that it was possible for him to come back and like like the man was on holiday in the Caribbean at a time when MPs weren't were yeah. not on recess were not on recess we're in the middle middle of a you know a cost of living crisis, an economic crisis caused by his successor, but caused by his own party, and he's swanning off to the Caribbean. He doesn't come back immediately. He only comes back when it becomes when when he thinks he can win. To be fair, Steve, he didn't go on holiday during the summer when he was prime minister. So, oh, yeah, hmm. I. And then he comes, he, he comes back and then starts trying to, uh, you know, gather up the 100 nominations he needs to actually get onto the ballot. Then yesterday, like, there's an announcement gets leaked to the BBC that Boris Johnson has got the 100 he needs. No one knows who they are. No one, they, the campaign refuses to name them. But he's definitely got them. He's 100% got them. And then he drops out. I think the hundred is actually an existential threat to county cricket, but we'll we'll pass yeah. in a second. 
But yeah, then he drops out, citing that even though he uh, he uh, vastly cleared the hurdle of getting the 100 citing. I've seen 102, 104 kind of like figure thrown out by various individuals like Chris Heaton Harris, um, who was a major part of his campaign. Um, he drops out despite having all of that because he's come to the conclusion that it's not good for the country right now. And it's just like, mate, you were forced to resign in disgrace, what, four months ago, if that? <laughs> it's like the fact that you thought you could just come back in and everybody would be fine with that is utter nonsense. There's a small part of me which kind of wishes he had been somehow actually managed to get in, get on it because it would have absolutely torn the Conservative Party apart, limb from limb. Um, but the correct thing has happened. He's, he didn't get on the ballot, and um, thank God in a lot of ways. Well, and I think this is why it didn't happen, because, I mean, as you say, Boris Johnson's argument that he would have done it, but for the good of the country, decided not to. Uh, I feel like a more convincing explanation is that he didn't have those names. So um, the most convincing, I think, tracker from Sky News had Johnson on about 60 names which is probably i've we seen 60 different versions of the this is the first time boris johnson's pulled out of something joke mm. uh and the, the reason i think that, that you haven't got those numbers is you look at people like grant shapps who helped run his campaign in 2019 backing rishi Sunak, and actually it's people like steve baker so if there was a united right flank of the tory party behind Johnson he probably would have had the nominations yeah. but you look at someone like Steve Baker we've talked in the past about how what a formidable organizer he is well Steve Baker is in Wickham which is a marginal seat which is demographically trending Labour which is going to be really hard to fight yeah. at the next election and I think Baker sort of knew that for his political survival, the, the only thing he could do was say, look, Johnson would be a disaster. It can't be Johnson. It has to be someone else. Yeah. Because I, I think most Tory MPs must have come to the conclusion, A, we know he can't do the job. He did the job before, was bloody terrible at it. Yeah. B, there's a Commons committee, a Standards Committee investigation, which could see him suspended from Parliament and a by-election. C, you would end up, if not in that form of constitutional crisis, you would have a number of Tory MPs who would refuse the whip. And I think it's, it's, it was the best, the quickest way to a general election was a Boris Johnson premiership to which the Conservative Party falls apart. And actually, once you then have, once Starmer then puts the vote of no confidence down, there's every chance that could have triggered a general election, which the Tories can't afford to have a general election when you're 30 points behind the polls. Absolutely, 100%. Um, yeah. And it, that's the sage political advice you come to ours. Don't call an election when you're behind. Try and call an election when you're ahead in the polls. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, there, there were a load of, dis, of discussions apparently happening um, before Johnson officially pulled out um, the contest um, between Sunak uh, Sunak's campaign, Johnson's campaign, and, and Morden's campaign. Um, and my suspicion is that 
Johnson was clearly trying, probably trying to go along and do a, no, 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 you can all unite behind me. Rishi, you can be Chancellor again. Penny, you can have, I don't know, Foreign Secretary or, or something like that, you know, trying to bring all of that. And they probably just went, no, we're not going to do that. Like, if you do do this and you do get onto the ballot, fair, but we're not going to serve with you. None of our supporters are going to serve for you. You will not have a majority, no, and no. I, th- I think that's prob- that that's that that's probably one of the things which massively puts it down. I reckon he probably could have just about eked over the line in some form, but just because I genuinely think there probably are enough Tory MPs who are idiots um, to who would be willing to nominate him. Um, but I reckon the reality of the situation probably stopped him more than anything else because he would have basically been immediate failure. And Boris Johnson doesn't like to do hard work. Uh, no, but I, I, would, I, I think if he thought he could get the 100 nominations, he would have yeah. gone for it. Um, <clears throat> one for the diarists, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but I, for me, it's, it's more, if you're someone like Jonathan Gullis, who resigned as a minister four months ago and now backing Johnson, or Nadim Zahawi. God. Who, who published an article, got up an article that he'd written, got published uh, two minutes after Johnson uh, officially pulled out. Uh, and the article was about how it's time for Boris 2.0 and everybody's ready for Johnson again. And it's just like, oh my God. Apparently, all of Johnson's backers are absolutely really annoyed with him because they feel like they've been made to look like fools. I mean, it is probably the first time that Boris Johnson has let down lots of people making them look like fools. Yeah. And it's definitely the first time that Boris Johnson has ruled outstanding in a leadership contest, disappointing lots of people like Nadim Zahari and Nadim Doris. That definitely has never happened before. No, never, never, no, not at all. It's almost like... No one. The, the, you try and understand Boris Johnson and you realise he's just been there in front of you the whole time with his ass hanging out of his trousers. Yeah, he is a what you see is what you get person. It's just that for some reason, certain parts of the Conservative Party have been become blinded by him and just can't. They're just, they're all, they can only see the guy who won London off of Labour, despite the fact that was. God knows how many years ago at this point, no longer relevant. And he's had time in power where he's been proven wanting and lacking on every front. It's that and it's 2019 as well, isn't it? But again, it's... Against Corbyn. (laughs) Yeah. So I suppose I think it's trying to keep the mythology of Johnson around more than it is. Yeah. But actually, I think the judgment of most Tory MPs is, is just the mythology now. And that, yeah, there's a few who want it back, but it's it's almost better for Johnson now to almost pretend it, it could have been. Because actually, the, the context in which Rishi Sunak now inherits it, it's very, very different. I mean, we banged on for years about how Johnson wanted to... Uh, and to be fair, this is sort of the manifesto we won on in 2019... Yeah but it's about big states. It's about government investments. It's about government spending lots of money. Well, that's 
not what's on the cards with Jeremy Hunt. I think the, the other thing that we haven't talked about is actually Tory MPs looking at where the markets were and looking at how the market's reacting to when Boris Johnson became the book, bookie's favourite. And you saw those gilt prices going up. And I think enough just looked over the cliff and thought, we can't. Yeah. So, you know, whether it was country or party, or you convince yourself that what's good for the party is also good for the country. Yeah. There's, there's just no way it functions. I mean, I think that there's the, the very basic fact that um, at the moment, Jeremy Hunt, for instance, is basically unsackable as chancellor because he's about the only thing that's keeping the markets vaguely in check um, is that they've got, oh, there's, a, there's somebody who's at least semi-sensible in the chancellor, uh, in the exchequer building. He would have refused to serve under Johnson. So immediately gone like that. And any kind of stability, day one, vanishes i I think if if i was jeremy hunt and i was chancellor and unsackable for the person who beat me in 2019 i don't know i think you can have a lot of fun with that maybe it's because i'm a terrible person yeah yeah you can tell you're a political operative at heart in my heart steve i always did what i knew was the banter timeline (laughs) <laughs> that's why Rishi Sunak's Prime Minister so uh, we don't know much well he's not yet but he gave a speech to the nation that lasted just 86 seconds which is probably quicker than almost every single Nick Lowe song ever written actually there aren't many that clock in under one and a half minutes um, you could maybe listen to Truth Drug in that time which is a good song um, but uh, the even in those one and a half minutes, Steve still managed to make jaws drop. Partly because at the end he doesn't say thank you; he just stops and then wanders off. Um, I haven't even also, seen <laughs> I would like he says I would like to pay tribute to Liz Truss for her dedicated public service to the country. She has led with dignity and grace through a time of great change, and under exceptionally difficult circumstances, both at home and abroad, which is one of the most remarkable tributes. I think anyone's ever paid to anyone because they were absolutely incredibly difficult and challenging circumstances, most of which were brought on by herself. Yeah. it's Also, I'm not really sure that I would look at the press conference she did. What was it? Last week? It feels so long ago. (laughs) That was not leading with grace. No. I say it. Not even really with dignity. Not even leading, um, to be honest. That's what I would argue. Um, but I, I mean, I, I know there's a certain amount of oh, you have to be like there's niceties that you have to kind of throw out in these sorts of situations and these sorts of circumstances. It's how like when every single person get enters the Commons for the first time, they end up singing the praises of their um, of, of the person that 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 held the held the seat before them, even if they've beaten like somebody they absolutely detested, um, like you, you have a Labour person come in, they will talk about the public service of their Conservative uh, MP previously and vice versa, even though they clearly can't stand each other 90% of the time. So it's just one of those things. But it just, it's so egregious when it's for trust in this instance, because it's just like, it's not like with Johnson, you could kind of get away with it because there's things you could say that were, kind of legit you could talk about oh the success of like 
handling the pandemic, et cetera, et cetera. Or, or in, yes, in no, that great now. success. Yeah, but you, there are things that you no, could... Sorry, yes. It's, well, the, the usual, I think, script now is yeah. arming Ukraine, the vaccine rollout, yeah. winning an election. But yeah, you, you can point to things and kind of everyone goes, well, that's... You're, you're clearly just trying to be nice here, but fair enough. Those things at least have a half grain of truth to them. Whilst with trust, it's just like, no, nah, there's nothing nothing there. There was like, she was that she was barely there long enough to make a cup of tea. And yet in that entire time managed to break the entire damn damn economy. It's like there's no there's no positives out of any of any of it. She didn't do anything other than negatives. No, I mean yes. I... Anyway. And now we have a Sunak government, which, I mean, it's, it's going to be incredibly difficult. We'll, we'll talk more probably at the end of this week when we know who's in the government, see if it hasn't fallen apart. Um, but you look at some of the choices they've got to make. Uh, and it's, it's been a weird, it's a weird contest because on the one hand, Rishi Sunak hasn't really not made any public statements at all. On the other hand, we had, there were so many hustings over the summer. I think it was just, um, there was just a surfeit of information, really. But yeah. <clears throat> one of the things that's been reported is that he's refusing to commit an up, uplift in defence spending, which you imagine could lead to big rows with MPs. You're looking at a big, certainly local government spending as well. You've got a, a, lots of schools are saying that next year they will run out of money under the yeah. current scenario. That's not really being addressed. You've got an NHS in crisis. Yeah, it's... I do not begrudge anybody kind of like the current situation. Yeah, a lot of it is self-inflicted by the Tories in, in, in general, but it's it's a nightmare scenario for any government. Um, the small mercies is that in comparison to a lot of the other Conservatives... Sunak is comparatively a big beast. Um, well, is he? I don't know. I mean, the newspapers, they, they all mock him to look like that, but... My... I think when you compare him to anybody else that it could have been, he's the best choice, if for no other reason than he's at least got some knowledge of economics. Like, may not even be that great, but it's a damn slight more than anybody else because he's Chancellor of the Chequer for a, couple, uh, for, for a few years and Chief Secretary of the Treasury before that. Like, there's at least a foundation of something there. Well, it, it, like, if, you would, if we'd had Johnson or if we'd had Mordaunt or, um, I don't know, Braverman or, or someone else... Like they've got nothing in in that regard. Yeah. In, in t- so we've we've talked about the chaos that would have been issue with, with Johnson. Morden, I suppose, is a bit too untried, a bit too untested, and I, I think hard for the Tory right to unite around her when they see her as a bit woke. Yeah. And Which, that is, and, and so, so that, that that's one thing that probably is actually worth us actually mentioning and, and making a note of. This is a actually a milestone in terms of Britain's history. We have our first Indian heritage. Mm. 
prime minister. That is genuinely not something that should be kind of poo-pooed over and ignored just because we happen to disagree with him on an awful lot of things. And the fact that, you know, the Conservative Party of all parties is the one that gone is a sign of a hell of a lot of progress that society has made in a lot of areas um but yeah so it's worth just just saying that but everything is still yeah your your, your points about him being considered a bit too woke and a bit too left-wing if Rishi Sunak's too left-wing for the Conservative Party well during the summer you had people like Simon Clark saying that he advocated brown-eyed economics these people but, don't understand anything. Case well, in point, going back to the notion of economics. <laughs> well, no, well, absolutely. So, but it's also it's one of those silly things where Rishi Sunak was also as chancellor sort of portrayed as more centrist, when really economically he's on the Thatcherite right. Yeah. And if anything, Boris Johnson was more centrist because he wanted to spend more money, and in, in that, yeah, only in that sense, really. Um, <clears throat> so what you essentially have is. You've got the, the Thatcherite right and the more extreme right that, than that in sort of Badnock, Braverman, Rees-Mogg, you know, Quarteng Trust, that, that you sort of Adam Smith libertarian types as well. As we've talked about, there isn't really a one nation ring anymore. You know, Jeremy Hunt would still have, was still, I think, committing to a no deal Brexit in his leadership campaign. So yeah. it's not like, you know, from that sense if he's your left of the Tory party that's still not you know it's nowhere near anywhere that say Ian Gilmore was even Ted Heath Harold McMillan Anthony Eden it's nothing like that position yeah um and I think the other the the other problem is that Snack on the surface is polished on the surface is slick but actually is in many ways an untried, untested, brittle politician. And I mean, the, the uh, whoever is masochistic enough to go and listen to our start of year review and look at who the movers and shakers are going to be, then look at the June one we did once Richard's next star had fallen, given all the stuff about his sort of tax status. Then at the end of the year, you know, it's it's a lot of a journey, but I, it, the in terms of what sort of balance I'll get as a PM, it actually, unlike trust, the public didn't really know there was a there was potentially a space for trust to try and define itself before the whole project blew itself up in a yeah. bit of an ideology. I think it's harder for someone like Sunak because the public already know him. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I'm just saying, and, and on that is just uh, the YouGov, just in terms of the, the public already knowing him, YouGov have done, released an MRP poll um, as of about like an, 30 minutes ago, something like that, um, where they've did, literally asked people across every constituency in the UK, which of the following do you think makes the best prime minister, Starmer, Sunak, or not sure? Starmer, 389 wins in constituency. Sunak, 127. Not sure, 116. Sunak doesn't win a single Red Wall seat. Okay, yeah. Like, and- people know who he is. People don't particularly like him. Might be the best fit out of the, the Conservative options, but I don't see how we can turn anything around for them. Well, no, and uh, again, so th- there's the very... The, the spending cuts which appear to be coming 
are going to be horrific for so many people who are already struggling to try and go about their day-to-day lives in some sort of comfort and dignity. But when you're also looking at, say, refusing to commit to the triple lock and pensions rising with inflation, you've also got actually these choices which are going to directly impact on the conservative voter base in a way that the 2010 to 15 cuts never did. Yeah. And how you build a political coalition to get 300 to 350 seats, I think is hard. It's especially harder yeah, on, on, under Suna, as you say. Uh, it's because they're, well, and we've, we've talked about this a few times as well, but again, it feels to me that, that although Sunak has maybe a lower ceiling than Truss or Johnson as a PM, he probably has a higher floor. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's hard to see, uh, and this is a prediction I'd be very happy to get wrong, it's very hard to see us entering a general election with Labour 56%, Tories 14 under a Sunak premiership, say. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so in that sense, you know, the polls that, and in many ways they are, uh, they were never going to happen, that sort of extinction level, you know, the Tories ended with three seats. Yeah. It was always a bit of a stretch, but you can see a Sunak premiership being more like 150 to 300 seats as opposed to, you know, trust is like 50 to 400. Yeah, abso- ab- Absolutely. I think Sunak probably is the safe pair of hands, quote unquote, that they need. It's just how safe and whether or not he actually is safe. Because <laughs> it could still, like we've already seen that, he does not have great political antennae. No. So it could still go horribly wrong for them and he's already unpopular. And he's not a great media performer. As, as you mentioned, he kind of just wanders off at the end of his this thing that's already being memed and like talked about on Twitter. People have already started comparing him to Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg in terms of being robotic and, and things like that. It's And you have a parliamentary party, which is going to be really, really hard to govern. So even those 60 committed um, public backers of Boris Johnson, yep. not all of them are going to fall in line. Absolutely. Now. So, you know, the, the government has a majority of 71 uh, Boris Johnson, the, the rumours are that Boris Johnson's resignation list will have eight sitting Tory MPs in it to be a peer. They're eight very tricky by-elections at the moment. Yeah. Um, and it's the same sort of issue that David Cameron had is that the Tory MPs have had a taste for rebelling since 2010 and they're able to rebel and the government can still pass stuff because you have the extra seats from a Lib Dem coalition. Yeah. But, you know, you, if you've got these difficult choices to be made, it's going to be very difficult, I think, to stick a lot of them through Parliament. Absolutely, 100%. Which is why I still think we're probably going to end up in a uh, general election sooner rather than later. That's a bombshell prediction on which to end, Steve. I know. I like to get live dangerously. If you want to live even more dangerously then you could hear some of our extremely dangerous predictions on Patreon, couldn't you, Steve? You could indeed. You can head over to patreon.com slash not enough champagne, where for a few pounds every month, you can get access to our dangerous, dangerous predictions, which almost always make us look like fools. 
Our Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash not enough champagne. You can follow us on Twitter at no champagne pod. Uh, James Cram is on the logo. You can follow him on Twitter at James Cram and Dave Depper composed our theme tune, Pookie Good Times. I'm at Paperback Rioter. I'm at Acoustic Radical. Happy plotting. <laughs>